0: Genesis chapter 41, the subject today is the ultimate promotion. Let's just read a couple of verses, beginning in verse 14. Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself, and he changed his raiment, and he came in unto Pharaoh. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word and let God's people say praise the Lord and you may be seated. Now I have told you for a long time and I repeat it again today that this book we call the Bible is a hymn book, H-I-M, it's all about him, the Lord Jesus Christ himself When he joined the two fellows on the road to Emmaus, opened the scriptures and showed them in the scriptures all the things concerning himself. We know that the apostle Paul drew out several what we call types and shadows, but it is my opinion that Paul was just giving us an example to follow. In other words, we mustn't just limit the types and the shadows to what the Lord used Paul to draw out. Everything in Scripture, as I hope to show you today, everything in the Scripture, every person, every event, every ritual, every rite, everything in the Scripture points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We believe that the Bible is Christocentral. He is the center of Scripture. We believe that he is the end of Scripture, Christotelic. We believe that he's the fulfillment of all the promises. The promises of God mean nothing unless we see how they are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do today, God willing, is to back up a little bit, and we're going to probably from this point forward have Bible teaching every Sunday morning. I don't know the difference, really, practically speaking, in preaching and teaching, but I think that if we do any of what men call preaching and we're not teaching the Scripture, I think we've failed. So I want to teach you. I want to show you what the Lord shows me. Whatever He reveals to me, I try to pass it along to you. So we're going to try to look at seven points today in this chapter. And we're going to begin with verse 1 again. In verse 1, it says, At the end of two full years, two full years, referring to the time that uh, jo- uh, this, this brother here, Joseph, has been in prison. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. Probably no one has been as obedient to the Lord as Joseph. And at the same time, no one has suffered like Joseph. The lesson is, it may seem that the good often goes unrewarded, but it does not. Joseph is still in prison but the Lord is working out something for his good and for the, for the Lord's glory. Consider our Lord Jesus Christ, who went about doing good, the Scripture says, healing people, forgiving sin, teaching the people. And no one suffered like our Lord Jesus Christ, but all that worked out in his life worked out for the Lord's glory and for the good of the salvation And the salvation of his people. So the first lesson is it may seem that good goes unrewarded, but it does not. And then also in that first verse, we see that God speaks to men. Pharaoh dreamed a dream. He communicated with Pharaoh by a dream, and he still speaks to us today, but not through dreams. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed as heir of all things. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In time past, he spoke by the prophets. But now in these last days, when did the last days begin? They began with the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are talking a lot today about the last days. The last days began when Christ came. I don't know how long the last days will last. I don't know if we're at 1130 or if we're at 1159, but I do know that they began when Christ came. He has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. God only speaks to us today in his word by his Son. All right, number two, verses nine through 14, we learn this lesson in verses nine through 14, that the Lord is working when we think nothing is happening. What is the Lord doing with Joseph while he's in prison, his brothers lying against him? Potiphar putting him into prison. What is the Lord doing through all of this? Well, you remember when we began considering Joseph, he was 17 years old, and even though he was a godly young man, he was rather naive. When he had those dreams that God gave him, he told him immediately to his brothers, and he said, you know, God showed me in my dreams that all of you are going to bow down to me. Then he had a second dream. He said, hey, I had another dream. Not only are you going to bow down to me, but my own father and mother are going to bow down to me. And they said, are you crazy? We're never going to bow down to you. And they envied him, the scripture says. They hated him. They were jealous of him. And they, of course, began to plot and to plan how they could do away with Joseph. But in all of that, God was working to get Joseph down to Egypt and into the position that he had predestinated for him, that he had determined for him. So we find in verses 9 through 14, when the butler, the chief butler, suddenly says, Oh, I remember I was when I was in jail, there was a young man with me named Joseph and I and the, the baker, we had uh, dreams and he interpreted the dreams and it came to pass exactly as he said. All of that teaches us that the Lord was working, using even unsaved people, when we think nothing is happening. But what's happening to Joseph through all of this? What's happening to Joseph is this, he's being transformed. He's been matured. His character is being developed. Let me share something that's very valuable, uh, at least it's been very valuable to me, and I hope it will be to you. What is the aim of all trouble for children of God? All of you can think back in your life and say, this happened to me, that happened to me, I wanted this, this didn't happen, I wanted that, that didn't happen. What's behind the trouble in the lives of the children of God? Number one, to conform us to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 29 Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He's going to make us into the image. Of his son. And how is this done? I have a lot of scripture today, so you can write it down, go back and consult these passages yourself. How is this done, this conforming work into the image of Christ? Listen to this Romans chapter 12, verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The the renewing of your mind. How is that done? How is your mind renewed? By getting his word into your mind. Getting his word into your heart. Getting his word into your soul. I promise you that the more of God's word comes into you, the more your mind will, will be renewed. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and be made conformable unto his death. He said again in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind was in Christ Jesus? It says, he took upon himself, he made himself of no reputation But he took upon himself the form of a servant. He became a servant. That was the mind of Christ. Then it says, and he humbled himself. And then it says, and he became obedient. Obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. He was a servant. He made himself of no reputation. He did not promote himself. He promoted the father in heaven. He humbled himself. And listen, as a man, and we'll consider this a moment in a moment in Hebrews chapter 5, he became obedient. As a man, obedient unto death. The first aim of trouble in the life of a believer, in the life of a Christian, is to conform us to the image of Christ, the perfect Son and our Savior. The second point, the second reason behind the trouble that we experience is to teach us submission to the will of the Father. How many of us know that when we pray, it is not to change God, it is to change us. We don't change his mind by making deals with him. Lord, if you'll do this, I'll do that. We are to be conformed to the image of his Son. And what was the one thing that stood out about our Lord Jesus Christ? He said, I do always those things which please my Father. Even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he knew he was about to be betrayed, and he knew he was going to be beaten, and he knew he was going to be crucified, he said, Lord, if it's possible, Father, if it's possible, deliver me from this moment. Nevertheless, not my will, not my will, but thine be done. I believe that one of the whole foundations of the aim of God in trouble is to teach us in whatever state we're in, you may be lying on a hospital bed and the surgeon may come in and say, there's only a 20% chance that this surgery will be successful. Now, will you be able to say, Father in heaven, if it be thy will, deliver me from this; Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The first aim is to conform us to the image of Christ, and the second is to bring us into submission to the will of Listen to this amazing passage of Scripture. I need to come back later and exegete it, open it up for you. It's found in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. It says of our Lord Jesus Christ, In the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared... Listen to this, verse 8, there it is on the board for you. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He experienced what it was as a man to obey in the face of adverse circumstances. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Notice now, he learned obedience, and we must learn to obey him. Not my will, his will be done, and his will is revealed in the Scripture, in the Bible. All right, number three, third lesson. Back in Genesis 41, verses 15 and 16, we see that the pharaoh... And his wise men and magicians could not understand the dream that he had had. This prompted him to call Joseph, and he said, I understand that you can interpret dreams, verse 15. And Joseph, who had a prime opportunity to promote himself, said, Oh, no, it's not in me. It's not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Here's the point that I'm making. Natural men do not understand spiritual things. Today, we don't need to be taken up so much with understanding dreams, but understanding the completed Word of God. The Scripture has been completed. We believe the Bible is fully inspired. The plenary Verbal inspiration of scripture, the word by word, full inspiration of scripture that God has said all he is going to say. And he has said enough for all men to be saved by it. Today, we need to understand the completed word of God. Neither Pharaoh nor any of his men understood the dreams and they couldn't know, therefore, what needed to be done. So what needed to be done? Well, let me put this in our, on our plate. When you're facing things and you don't know what to do, let me tell you two things you can do. The first thing is to humble yourself. To humble yourself. Joseph was a humble man. He was submissive to the will of God. He had been patiently waiting now for 13 years. He had to wait that other two years, a total of 13 years, since he'd been 17 years old. He's now 30 years old. He was a humble man. The first thing we need to do, if we're going to understand the will and the mind of God and how to act and how to carry out ourselves in the manner that will glorify Him, is to humble oneself. Colossians 3.12, "...put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved,..." Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long suffering. James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. First Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. Cast all your care on him. He cares for you. First thing, humble yourself. Second thing, ask him for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom. James tells us in James chapter 1, he says, The trying of your faith from trouble works patience. The trying of your faith works patience. If any of you lack wisdom while you're going through these trials and these troubles, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. In other words, God will not rebuke you no matter how many times you ask him for wisdom. He upbraideth not, ask and it shall be given him Joseph was in trouble Joseph's faith was being tried Joseph was learning patience no doubt he was calling upon the Lord He was a humble man he was asking God for wisdom The Lord has promised to bless to bless humility and dependence upon him Through prayer. He has promised to do that. I think that's good practical advice. Now in verses 17 through 24, we simply have more details of the dreams that are revealed. Pharaoh has told the dreams to Joseph, and in verses 17 through 24, he reveals some more details about those dreams. When we get down to verse 25, verses 25 through 32 we have Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. Now notice what Joseph says. He says the two dreams, verses 25 through 32, he says the two dreams are really one. You see that in verse 25? Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. The two dreams are one, he says the same thing in verse 28, "This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh, what God is about to do, He shows unto Pharaoh. Now why was there two dreams? First of all, because there must be two witnesses to establish truth. Two witnesses to establish truth. It's not enough to have one witness. Listen to this from the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. Now I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 5, if you will, in the New Testament. John's Gospel Chapter 5, the issue in what we call the gospel, the issue is, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Messiah? If he is the Messiah, then there's absolutely no excuse for anyone, Jew or Gentile, in not receiving him, not believing on him, not coming to him, committing oneself to him. In John chapter 5, there's an issue of a witness. And the Lord Jesus presents several witnesses here. You notice, for example, look at verse 31. John chapter 5, verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. You see, he realizes And he's really setting forth the principle found in that Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15 passages. There must be two or more witnesses. Notice verse 32. There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness once he witnesses of me is truth. Notice verse 33. You said unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. Notice verse 36. I have greater witness than that of John. For the works that the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Verse 37. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. So Jesus presents several witnesses. He presents the witness of the Spirit, which I believe is verse 32. He presents the witness of John the Baptist, verse 33. He says, the works that I've done, verse 36, they bear witness of me. And he says, the Father, verse 37, he bears witness of me. He calls these witnesses. The two dreams are the witnesses of the will of God for Egypt and for Pharaoh. Now, each of us, we have witnesses. We have two general witnesses We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have 66 specific witnesses, the 66 books of the Bible written by the prophets and the disciples. We have the witness of our own spirit and our own mind. We are told in Romans chapter 1 that our mind, our spirits witness to us, and the creation witnesses to us. To us, So that men are left without excuse. That's called general revelation. Every man, when he looks at the heavens and the stars and the sun and the moon, the miracle of birth, the majestic way in which things are made and put together, all of these things bear witness that there's a God. There's, if there's design, there must be a designer. If there's intelligence, there must be an intelligent being. He that made the eye, does he not see? He that made the ear, does he not hear? He that gives man the ability to speak, does he not know how to speak? Does he not know language? All of these things bear witness. There's no excuse for any person in the world. According to Romans chapter 1, so then they are without excuse. Not enough to save them. To save them, you must have the special revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You You have to believe on him, but it is enough to make it without excuse. God's message. Joseph said to the Pharaoh, he's given you two dreams. And he said, these two dreams are two witnesses. And he said this. He said, this is to show you that what is coming is fixed. It's fixed. It's established, Mr. Pharaoh. There's nothing that you or anybody can do about it. This is what the God of heaven and earth has determined, and it's fixed. Now, God's message to us in the Bible is fixed. It is sovereignly determined. It is finished. When Jesus died on the cross... He said, death, die, the Greek term, a little phrase meaning it is finished. It is finished. It is sovereignly determined. It will not be altered, though men have tried to change the Bible. They've tried to find holes in the Bible. They've tried to minimize the Bible. They've tried to find errors in the scripture, though men have tried to change it for centuries. Today, the Bible is under severe attack. But altering the Bible will not alter the will and the purpose of God. It is fixed. You remember what I told you? We had a little pillow at our home. When I go back into our bedroom, I see this little pillow. You remember this? Some of you are nodding. And it said, you may ignore the queen, but she's still the queen. <laughs> huh? You may ignore the King of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he's still the King of the universe. He's still the Lord of lords. And as God has revealed his mind through Joseph, so he has revealed himself and his will for us through his son. All right, let's go back to Genesis 41. Hope you're able to follow me here. Verses 33 through 36, Joseph gave advice and counsel to Pharaoh, verses 33 through 36. Joseph had both the knowledge and the wisdom that he needed. He had all the information that he needed and the wisdom to use it. Now let me talk to you about that just a moment. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts, and wisdom is the means of making the facts useful. Knowledge is the diagnosis, and wisdom is the cure. By knowledge, we learn what is going on. By wisdom, we know what to do. Now, this generation has a lot of information available to them, perhaps more than any other previous generation. But that information is of little value in the spiritual realm without wisdom. In Joseph's case, the problem had to be understood, and then an answer had to be formulated. It's one thing to have a plan, it's quite another to effect it. A right plan must have the right person to carry it out. Now, I want you to notice something here in the fulfillment of this dream that God gave Pharaoh and in most cases in the Scripture. I want you to notice that normally God's will is brought to pass without the use of miracles. No miracles were involved in the solution to the problem that's confronting Egypt. So this, first of all, immediately we should know this teaches us that the Lord uses men And women. So the question comes why should the Lord provide a miracle when we can do something about it? Why do we cry to God for miracles when we aren't doing what we could and should be doing? That's something to confront this generation. We pray to the Lord to save people, but we never say a word of witness to them. We pray for our children, our husbands, our wives, our relatives, our colleagues at work, but are we ever saying anything to them? Do we ever bear witness to them? Did we ever say, look, let me invite you to come with me to worship the Lord this Sunday. I'll be glad to pick you up. You can do that. We are in a generation who wants God to step up and show himself. He has shown himself in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember when they approached Christ and they said, They said, Give us a sign that we might know that you are the real Messiah. Give us a sign. He said, an adulterous and and sinful generation seeketh after a sign. There shall no sign be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ bears witness of who he is. And if they will not receive that witness, there is nothing else to give them. We have all of this revelation in Scripture. So, this generation wants to see something, they want God to do something. Well, He's doing something now. <laughs> I believe that all of these problems that we're experiencing as a world, all of these problems that we're experiencing in the weather, all of these problems that we're experiencing in a failure of ethics and morality, much less spirituality, all of these things testify of the judgment of God upon this nation and upon this world. And you can read about it in this book. You can read about it. Get your copy of this book and read it and pray over it, and study it. The Lord is not in a hurry. He never has been in a hurry. You never saw Jesus running anywhere. You might see me running. I run all the time. Can't seem to catch up. But you never saw him running. And the Lord takes his time teaching us of himself. He taught Moses for 40 years in Egypt. Then he sent him out in the wilderness and taught him for another 40 years. And when he was 80 years old, he said, I think perhaps I can use you. David, he said, you're going to be king of Israel. When? Tomorrow? No. Next week? No. Next year? When? No. In 15 years. In 15 years. David had to wait 15 years. God to fulfill that promise. Saul of Tarsus, it is estimated that he was around 30 years old when he was converted. He was around 60 years old when he was executed. What a world of work that man left. Well, back to Joseph. After interpreting his dreams, the Pharaoh's dreams, Joseph advised the Pharaoh as to what should be done, and he Set forth a seven step plan, verses 33 through 36. I'll just share it briefly with you. Number one, he said, Find the right man, verse 33. He said, This man should be discreet and wise. Number three, he said, Set that man over the land of Egypt, verse 33. Number four, in verse 34, he said, appoint officers to carry out the man's plans. In verse 34, he said, number five, he said, take 20% of the crops during the several, seven fruitful years. Verse 35, number six, he said, build bins to store the food and set up guards to guard the food. And number seven, in verse 36, he said, sell the food when the famine comes. Seven steps, he said, to deal with this coming famine in Egypt. Find the right man. Make sure he's discreet and wise. Set that man over the land of Egypt. Appoint officers to carry out his plans. Take 20% of the crops and build storage bins and guard them and sell the food when the famine comes. Now, the Lord has blessed us with a lot of knowledge, but we need wisdom. And my friends, if we would be wise, where does wisdom begin? Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me challenge you this morning to determine to know, to trust, to study, and to obey the Lord in all things, in his word. Listen to these passages. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, For the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He lays up wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler, a shield to them that walk uprightly. Proverbs three thirteen. Happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. Listen to Solomon as he counsels his son in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, My son, get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget it. Neither decline from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake wisdom. She shall preserve you. Love her, and she shall keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all thy getting, get understanding, the proper use of wisdom. Exalt her, she shall promote you, she shall bring you to honor when you do embrace her. She shall give to your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory, shall she deliver to you. Proverbs chapter 4. Listen to Solomon as he speaks of wisdom. I am wisdom. I am better than jewels. Nothing that you can have can compare with me. I am wisdom and I have insight. I have knowledge and sound judgment. I help kings to govern and rulers to make good laws. Every ruler on earth governs with my help, statesmen and noblemen alike. I love those who love me, and whoever looks for me can find me. I have riches and honor to give, prosperity and success. What you get from me is better than the finest gold and better than the purest silver. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 11 through 19. Where do we begin? The fear of the Lord. Fear does not mean a Slavish fear like a slave afraid of his master. It means a respect, a reverence for the Lord. Get to know Christ, who's called the wisdom of God, and the Spirit of Christ will give you Wisdom. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We have a book of wisdom in the Word of God. Get in it. Get in that book, and it will make you wise. Joseph gave the Pharaoh counsel, and the Lord has given us Counsel. All right, now we get to the last part. Verses 37 through 38, Joseph is promoted. Joseph is promoted. All promotion, according to the scripture, comes from heaven. All promotion comes from heaven. John 3:27, "A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. Promotion neither comes from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one, he sets up another. Promotion always comes from above. Joseph was not only promoted out of prison, he was promoted above all the council members of the Pharaoh. All of those who advised the Pharaoh, he was put above them. Listen to this from Psalm 106. Sharing a lot of scripture with you today, but you can go back and look it up. Listen to this. Psalm 106, verses 20 through 22. Then the king of Egypt had Joseph released. The ruler of the nation set him free. He put him in charge of his government. He made him ruler over all the land with power over the king's officials and authority to instruct his advisors. Psalm 106, verses 23 22. By the grace of God, Joseph gave the right interpretation to that dream. He gave the right advice. And what Joseph said, according to verse 37, was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. Now, how did Joseph do it? How did he do it? Look at verse 38, verse 38, Psalm, Genesis 41, I have Psalms in my mind, Genesis 41 and verse 38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a man as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? How did Joseph do it? Well, he had the Spirit of God. He had the Spirit of God. The Pharaoh could see the Spirit of God in Joseph's character, in his message, in his knowledge, in his wisdom, and in his humility. And by the way, this is the first mention in the Scripture of a man said to have the Spirit of God. And this teaches us that the presence of the Holy Spirit may be seen in some very practical ways by Someone doing very practical things. Listen, my friends, you don't have to work miracles or do something extraordinary to be possessed by the Spirit. Just serve the Lord with all of your hearts. Be faithful with whatever he has given you to do. And you have the promise that the Spirit of God will lead you and teach you. Joseph did, and look, even an unsaved man like the Pharaoh (laughs) confessed that the Spirit of God was on and in Joseph. Now, I don't mean to be negative, but I do have to tell you the truth. Never do we see our Lord Jesus Christ speaking an ecstatic language. Never do we see him pushing people over to heal them. Never did we see him doing anything dramatic to draw attention to himself. And yet, and I want you to turn to this passage, John chapter 3. Yet he was more than filled with the Spirit of God. John's Gospel, chapter 3. The Lord Jesus Christ was more than filled with the Spirit of God but you don't see him doing any of these things that many of these teachers and preachers in modern churches are saying is associated with the Spirit of God. John chapter 3, verse 34. He whom God hath sent speaks the words of God, for God gives not The Spirit by measure unto Him. Now I'm going to read a comment by a scholar, Dr. Olshausen, a biblical scholar, and this is what he says about this verse. I can tell you in my own way, but let me read what he says about this verse, verse 34. Here again, the sharpest conceivable line of distinction. "...is drawn between Christ and all human-inspired teachers. They have the Spirit in a limited degree, but God gives not to Him the Spirit by measure. It means that the entire fullness of divine life and divine power is in Christ. The present tense, giveth, very aptly points out the permanent communication of the Spirit by the Father." It's in a tense that means he keeps on giving to the son so that a constant flow and reflow of living power is to be understood. Now, what John is telling us here in John 3, verse 34, he's telling us that Jesus is equal to the father and he is equal to the spirit. He possessed the spirit without measure You couldn't put a measuring rod to how much of the Spirit that he had. The Spirit in him could not be measured. Can the Spirit of God the Father be measured? No. Can the Spirit of God the Spirit be measured? No. Can the Spirit of Christ be measured? No. Our Lord had the Spirit without measure. Now, the particulars of Joseph's promotion, there are a lot that can be said here, but I'm going to limit myself because we have a limited time here. Verses 39 and 40 of Genesis 41, the particulars of Joseph's promotion are given to us. The Pharaoh was more than impressed with Joseph. In verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God has showed you all of this, there's none so discreet and wise as you are. God is the term Elohim, God, the God of gods, the Lord of lords. He had shown Joseph the meaning of his dreams and the answer to the coming dilemma. And he describes Joseph as discreet and wise, that is, intelligent, discerning, and having the gift of administration. And the Pharaoh outlines Joseph's position in verses 40 and 41. He says, first of all, you're going to be prime minister of state. You're going to be the head of my house. Pharaoh's house is the nation of Egypt. My people reveals what my house means. You're going to be the head of state, the prime minister of Egypt. Number two, you're going to be the chief justice of law. I'm going to give you absolute authority to execute your will. Verse 40, you shall be over my house, and according unto your word shall all my people be ruled only in the throne. Will I be greater than you? The word of Joseph will have the force of law. When he says, you'll rule, that is a word that is, it's a Hebrew word, nashak, and it it is equivalent to worship. It's the same word used in Psalm 1, where the psalmist says, kiss the son, lest the father be angry, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled. But a little, it's the same word, is translated rule here. In other words, you're going to, I'm going to put you, Joseph, in a position that if men don't kiss your foot, they're going to be in trouble. You tell them to do something, they're going to have to do it, or they're going to be in trouble. Of course, our Lord Jesus Christ has been given the greatest promotion and the greatest authority and glory. Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted him, verse, verse 9 through 11. He has given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Pharaoh says to Joseph in verse 40, you will be second only to me in position. All that you do, Joseph, will be as if the Pharaoh does it. When you speak, it will be as if the Pharaoh is speaking. You will have the power of the Pharaoh. But what about our Lord? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ, the second person of the Godhead. He is the one who carries out the Father's business. The Scripture says if you reject the Son, you reject the Father. If you receive the Son, you receive the Father. Let's look quickly at the symbols of Joseph's promotion, verse 41 through 44. Verse 41 through 44, the symbols of Joseph's position and promotion. You see, Pharaoh has informally anointed Joseph with promotion. Now he's going to invest him in a formal way. He has uttered a a special personal word to Joseph, but now before the heads of state of Egypt, he's going to induct him and cause them to recognize it. So the declaration of the investiture is found in verse 41. I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. So this promotion has now been made official and public. And here are the symbols. Beginning in verse 42, Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand. This is the royal authority to issue all orders and to make all public documents official. It's equivalent to the the king's signature where they would put wax on it and Joseph would impress that wax with that ring and it was done. That's the signet ring. Then there's the vestures of fine linen. That's the royal dress, the kilot, the dress of honor. Then there's a gold chain. That's the badge of rank and dignity and the sign of wealth. And then there's the second chariot. He said, you're going to ride in the second chariot. That's the state carriage, just as the monarchy in England still employs. And then he said, you're going to have public respect. Everywhere they go, everywhere you go, verse 43, he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. When Joseph's carriage drove up, everybody bowed down. Everybody respected him. One word, a meaning a shout to announce. They would announce the coming of Joseph, and everybody would go down on their knee. Joseph later told his brothers in Genesis 45, it was not you that sent me here, it was God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord over all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. What a day. What a day. Joseph, when he woke up on that day, he was in prison, now he's prime minister. He was wearing the shackles of a prisoner. Now he's wearing the gold chain of authority. He was dressed in the rags of a dungeon. Now he's dressed in the fine linen of royalty. He walked as a slave. Now he rides in the second chariot. He was taking orders from the captain of the guard. Now his word is the law in Egypt. When he awoke that fateful day, he had to ask permission to get a cup of water. But now, according to verse 44... According to verse 44, no man shall lift up his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt without your permission, Joseph. All of the affairs of the kingdom of Egypt must pass through Joseph. Everyone and anyone must have Joseph's consent to buy or to sell. Now, let's multiply that by infinity. In the Lord Jesus Christ, all authority over heaven and earth even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Not one hair can fall from your head without his permission. How about that? Now, if that's true, I've heard people say, he, he cheated death. No, you didn't cheat death. God just extended your life. The Lord Jesus Christ said, let him live to see another day. You're in his hands, my friend. The Lord Jesus Christ is not in our hands. We are in his hands. It's his authority by which this universe is governed. Jesus is our perfect apparel. Joseph had fine linen. We have perfect righteousness. And in Jesus, as I began this service today, I said, that Mike Jenkins had been promoted. In Jesus, death is a promotion. In Jesus, we have the ring of sonship. In Jesus, we have the full consent of the Father and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, we have everything that God has. He gives us all of it in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have Christ? Have you believed on Christ? Have you come to Christ? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? You're going to have to bow one day. The scripture says that he's made him Lord of heaven and earth. That at the name of Jesus, all things in heaven, all things in the earth, and I dare say, under the earth and in hell, all will bow the knee and say, he's Lord. He's Lord. Everybody in Egypt had to acknowledge Joseph as Lord. And everybody on earth is going to have to acknowledge the Lord Jesus. As Lord. Well, I hope you've understood some of the things in this chapter. There's just so many things here, but at least that got us down to those verses. I hope you understand that it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph is a wonderful, beautiful type of Christ, although he is only mentioned in the New Testament one time. He's probably the most perfect, complete type of the Lord Jesus Christ, over and above Abraham, Isaac. Jacob or any of those people. But he sought the Lord's glory. He is the one who is the wonderful type of Christ who in, to perfection sought the glory of the Father. I always do those things that please my Father, said our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who stands in our room instead. His obedience is our obedience if we believe on him. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. And now we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Oh, come to him. Come to him and believe on him that you may not perish in your sins. May the Lord bless his word. Let's stand together.